This is Season 2, Episode 2, and you're listening to Promoting Pink. Hi, welcome back to my podcast. I'm Zoya, your host, and you're listening to The Black Sprout. Um, I'd like to mention also that the term Middle East um, is incorrect. I may be using it throughout this episode, um, but that's mostly because I'm quoting or referring to sources that I pulled from. Um, And so simply, why is this term incorrect? It's because it's a very vague description of a very large region, right? So typically this term is used for countries such as Iraq, Iran, Lebanon, Syria, Yemen, Qatar, Turkey, Pakistan, um, Afghanistan, Morocco, um, even Jordan, right? And so anyone who knows anyone from these places know how different and diverse all these people are and these places are, right? But basically the term Middle East is supposed to describe the general area between Europe, the Middle Eastern Sea, the Indian Ocean, as well as Asia, right? Basically, this was white settlers' way of homogenizing a large group of people. Um, This is why it's so easy for ignorant people to continue to perpetuate the idea that, um, you know, people from these places are terrorists, right? This terrorist rhetoric um, that often gets labeled and adapted to Muslim people. So there's a lot of stereotypes that are attached to this very vague, emphasis on vague, term Middle East or Middle Eastern. So please remember that. And let's get into the episode. So pinkwashing, what is it? Um, It's the practice of presenting something particularly uh, a state as gay friendly in order to often soften or downplay the aspects of its reputation that would be considered negative. So that was taken from yourdictionary.com. I think we should talk about why is pink washing harmful, right? Like we're sitting here saying, aren't we happy that all these companies and places are labeling themselves like gay friendly and putting like rainbows everywhere? No, okay, it is not good. It's harmful. And I think um, I took a class called Women in the Middle East. Like I said, here we are again using incorrect terms. But uh, my professor, we were focusing on women in Palestine and we really talked about that. And this is another point um, where really I started to understand how incorrect, you know, a term the Middle East is because we were talking about Palestine, right? And referring to like numbers and stats or like instances that were happening. And then we went and compared it to like, a place somewhere else and we were like see how these numbers are different imagine you went out there and just made some bold general statement this is like honestly like saying women like pink which women and there may be women that like pink but the statement women like pink is incorrect because not every woman in the world likes pink you know anyway let's talk about why is it harmful So for decades the Israeli state's colonial and apartheid regime has robbed oppressed, ethnically cleansed, impoverished, imprisoned, and killed Palestinians, right? So queers and non-queers alike. It didn't matter, okay? So you got Israel out here saying, we love gay people. And they are, like I listed, robbing, oppressing, ethnically cleansing, impoverishing, imprisoning, and killing Palestinians. It didn't matter if you're gay or not. And Israel, you know, the settler state Israel, and I I continue to try to say that because we have to understand, I mean, I'm going to say it again later on, but we have to understand that this is a genocide that is going on. And this was 
occupation, okay? They came in and occupied an area and a space and a land that's not theirs. And somehow we are able to understand that's wrong in other settings. Well, barely, actually. I take that back. We barely get that. But we can, we can with our moral superiority, you know, we sit here and we say it's wrong to, like, go into countries and just do this. And yet the settler state of Israel is doing that. And nobody's saying anything, barely. And so their pinkwashing agenda really seeks to portray themselves as this fun, loving, you know, like gay haven, while they continue to use racist stereotypes, right, that, that were you that are used on, quote, Middle Eastern people to depict Palestinians as backwards, right, to justify their mistreatment, their inhumane treatment, right, because they're backwards. So we're trying to make it better. And so you have lobbying groups, right, that are often allied with right-wing homophobic organizations that the colonial state of Israel promotes in its pinkwashing agenda, right, around the world. This is something they're feeding to all of us so that we sit there and say, yay, them. And so pinkwashing often attracts, you know, white gay people with anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim rhetoric. So you have Anders Breivik, Breivite. Um, who cited a gay American writer, right? This guy's from Norway. So he cited a gay American writer, Bruce Bauer, um, that criticizes Muslim immigration and uses it to justify the massacre of 77 people, right? So in his manifesto, he portrayed himself, this is Anders, he portrays himself as a successful businessman, right? With a nine-year plan to raise funds for his attack. But in reality, his businesses have been struggling and was ready to close from the early 2000s. And so one of his businesses, he used to cover his tracks so that he could buy, you know, supplies to make bombs, right? As well as gain access to credit cards from banks. This man would apply, right, to about 16 different institutions. And from those 16, he was able to gain nine credit cards. Wow. I would also just like to point out that I don't believe a black man would have been able to do this, okay? Apply to 16 institutions and get nine credit cards? Hmm. Hmm. What about them credit checks? Now, I don't fully know how the banks work in Norway, but I would like to say, with a little bit of confidence, I don't think this would have worked for a black man. Anyway, the settler colonial state of Israel gets to position itself as this, like, modern and an like a modern place, right? And they get to align themselves with, like, Western ideals. Because as long as we're saying yay gays, all of a sudden it's like, oh, come, yes, you're like us. You're like us. However, I would like to point out that Black trans women are extremely at risk, right? Like, they're getting hate crime and murdered at, at extremely high rates in North America. So when we're saying, you know, the West is a safe place for queer people, who? Which queers? When we're saying that the West is, you know, amazing for, like, self-expression, who's self-expression? And so Israel boasts and promotes itself as this safe haven, like I said earlier, um, but for queer tourism as well, right? So they, they are a great destination spot for people to come to, right? So they do this through advertisement of young same-sex couples, and they finance pro-Israel, you know, movie screenings at lesbian and gay film festivals in the U.S. Me, I didn't know that, but wow, right? So in 2020, the U.S., gave $3.8 billion to the Israeli settler state, right? And this was all part of their long-term yearly commitment that they made under the Obama administration. And almost all the aid that was given to them, right, that $3.8 billion was given for military assistance. 
Two sidebars. Guys, I'm trying to stay a little more focused during my episodes, but two sidebars. First of all, $3.8 billion and you have no universal health care. I'm not saying Canada is great. And exact, in fact, I'm saying far from it. But $3.8 billion and you got a housing crisis. You've got, you know, health issues. And second of all, this is my beef with Obama, okay? That's why when people are like, yay, Obama, they look at me because they see a black woman and they think, here we are, homogenizing. Oh my gosh, you must love Obama. That's why in the movie Get Out, when the guy is like, oh, I would have voted Obama for a third term if I could. That is why that is that fake ally stuff, okay? Because true allyship for black people in the black community would be understanding that this man, that is a war criminal, okay? And he caused a lot of harm, a lot of harm and and, and murder and death, right? To black people, people of color, and is not no one's hero, okay? Except, I don't know, people who support that type of stuff, right? He is a hero for white supremacists, pushing the agenda of colonialism. That is all he's done. Anyway, so under the Obama administration, Obama, my bad, Obama administration, um, all that aid was given to military assistance, okay? So mind you, this package was supposed to be given from 2017 to 2028. 2028! That's a decade, guys! This money has been used to create one of the most advanced militaries in the world, okay? Israel also purchased sophisticated military equipment from the U.S. Think about that, right? So you got combat aircrafts, which are being used for missile attacks, being bought. Hmm, hmm, a little suspicious. So it's also important to know that Israel has been the largest overall recipient of U.S. foreign aid since World War II. I'm not big on wars, but one thing I know is that was a long time ago, okay? This is a long time so they're second after Afghanistan for foreign aid. So you even have the prime minister saying to Congress, right, that the Middle East was a region where women are stoned, gays are hung, and Christians are persecuted. Now, this is obviously ironic because, like I said earlier, they continue, the Israeli state continues to violate the human rights of Palestinians and commit a genocide, right? This is an ongoing genocide. I think it's really important when we refer to genocides, we use this rhetoric that we talk about it in the present, um, whether it's with indigenous peoples or whether it's with the Palestinians. And I think it's also important to note um, that it is almost obvious, right, why the United States can't, as well as like Canada, but like the West, cannot condemn their actions, right? Otherwise, they themselves have to be held accountable for their continual genocide of indigenous peoples. It's why we sit here with these fake um, let's, let's make a, a, let's, let's have a, a, a national day, but do nothing about the harm we've done, right? Like it becomes easy that we make these things, um, motifs, right? And symbols for what we we're sorry, but sorry's come with action. Sorry's come with change behavior. In COVID-19, we didn't even give some of these indigenous communities proper access to health resources. If you cared, you would. Right. So let's just let's just point out that, you know, if they if they started condemning these actions, they would themselves would have to be held accountable for their ongoing genocide. Right. Like here with indigenous peoples, as well as, you know, across seas. Right. With wars, 
in the global south. We are constantly, the U.S. especially, and we as their allies, right? Because if they're at war, we're at war. But they're constantly at war. And that is to secure themselves as this national, like, superpower. But superpower what? You have people who are homeless. A high rate. People who are going without food. The healthcare is in crisis. People can barely afford to go to school, yet you live in a world where school and education is highly, you know, emphasized and, and made important. You need a degree for, like, everything now. And I'm not saying we shouldn't go to school. I support education. But education of what? Education at what, what you know, detriment? Education with what type of sacrifices? So we sit here and we wonder, why? Why is the U.S. providing so much financial aid to the settler state of Israel? And so we sit here and we wonder why? Well, the U.S. is providing so much financial aid to the settler state of Israel because they see them as an ally, right? They're able to position themselves with some sort of, you know, country, and I put that in quotes because they're not, they're an occupation, you know, in a place that they refer to as the Middle East. They've homogenized, right? They themselves can't even pick apart the differences. I kind of want to move forward and talk about, you know, colonialism, and it's what I've labeled, colonialism hates gays unless it pays. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I love it when it rhymes. I think it's important to acknowledge the way that pinkwashing completely ignores the way that fundamentalist Christians, the Roman Catholic Church, and Orthodox Jews historically have played, and I might even say, you know, today, but historically have played a large part in perpetuating fear and hatred against queer people. And then you might ask me, hey Zoya, why is pinkwashing so effective? Hmm? Why? And I'd like to say it's because it, it positions privileged white queers to place themselves, their race, and their religious identity on a hierarchy above queers in the global south, right? They've positioned themselves higher. Somehow they are supreme and above these people. Right? And this is considered homonationalism, right? And this is the emotional legacy of homophobia. Because, because of some advancements, right, that we have in gay rights, it creates the idea that Western countries are somehow better than those in the global South, right? It almost justifies the judgment that we have in Western society. It becomes really easy to point fingers at countries like India, right? Where opinion polls show that around 50% of in the Indian population may oppose same-sex relationships. But I would like to go even further and say, there is a larger conversation that we're not discussing. And so when people are discussing this same-sex opposition, sorry, of same-sex relationships, it's quick that we move to racist rhetoric, right? And I'm saying racist rhetoric because labeling these countries as backwards, somehow in need of help, like they're infants, is that racist rhetoric, right? Hidden behind big, glossy, beautiful words. Hidden behind our savior conflict complex, right? Like it completely ignores the ways that colonialism, right? I keep saying right, guys, but it is right, okay? <laughs> Colonialism in the 19th and 20th century has completely reshaped and erased the influence of queers in these communities, right? I remember reading, actually, in second year, this article about two-spirited people. And I vividly, I vividly remember thinking, I thought everybody hated gay people. 
I was sitting there in, in the library <laughs> in one of them study rooms reading this and they were talking, the article was just celebrating or, or really talking about the way that um, two-spirited people, but mostly people who don't settle into the gender binary were being celebrated or it wasn't as much as being celebrated, but were held in high regards in this society, right? They were doctors and, and, and medicine people and, and held in high regard, okay? These are important key people of this society. And I was sitting here thinking, wait, I was confused. I said, I thought I was sitting here like I thought everybody hated gay people. It was one of those moments where I realized the harm that colonialism, like I obviously I'm a black woman moving through this world, having to fight you know, to have my existence. I've told you guys before about how my, my high school wouldn't allow us to wear scarves because it was a hat. And we all know scarves are not, headscarves are not hats, but there's a, a historical and cultural importance that we have with scarves. And yet I wasn't allowed to wear it. And my, my professors were, or teachers were looking for, you know, well, maybe if we had something similar, we would get it. Pardon? Pardon? And so in this moment, when I was sitting in the library reading about two-spirited people, I really reckoned and really came to the understanding. I said, wow, colonialism has had such a detrimental impact on the black community, communities of color. You know, they really, they really erased and eradicated and changed the way that we look at people. And we can honestly say that because records show that before the 1700s in India, history has shown that there have been tons of evidence of queer people. And they weren't treated any differently than heterosexual people because they were people. You even have Kumasatra. It's a little spicy tidbit for some of you. They had a whole entire chapter dedicated to the explanation of homosexual sexual positions. They supported the experience of trans and non-binary people. And so pre-1700s, you even had the recognition of the third gender. What happened was when we had the British colonial rule there was the introduction and the criminalization of this, right? They deemed it as something that was against the order of nature. So it was the British that were cracking down on transgender people, right? With their introduction of Section 377, ultimately labeling the Kinar, more commonly referred to as Hijra, as an unlawful tribe, right? And this is happening in 1871, now, just imagine the impact that this has on families who had to watch their loved ones, right, be killed and taken by this colonial force. This is sort of what we mean when we talk about, you know, generational trauma and its impacts, right? The legacy that these things have. So much so, so that we forget our own history sometimes. And it's not always intentionally forgotten, but forced. Forced for us, for us to forget. Indigenous people's language have been, they were forced not to speak it. You were forced to forget. And so really this conversation should be around how do we erase and eradicate colonial legacies, right? That were, are in these countries. How do we take away the white supremacist ideals that, you know, our beloved homelands had to take to survive, right? Like that's why I was talking, you know, in the last episode about, you know, um, respectability politics and just the idea that like a lot of times we're doing these actions or code switching out of survival. It is not to say that sometimes these actions are good and we should continue them, but we should acknowledge that these are out of survival. This is so that you could live to see another day. And so I kind of wanted to end this. This is like the last section and don't worry that the ending's not coming too quick, but it's, it's coming. 
this is why I kind of wanted to end it with the idea that this is why the whole like spend June talking about love is love. Like let's leave it behind. Okay. That's why when my roommate, we were having this discussion, not that I wanted to be there, but somehow I got roped into it. And, you know, by the end of it, she was telling us that, you know, she told her parents that gay people don't choose to be gay. And she thought that was a profound statement. That's why we're tired. Okay. We're tired. What did that statement do? There are colonial legacies that are in these countries and in these places. Let's move past these branded statements. Love is love. Gay people don't choose to be gay. We know this. We know this, right? You have black trans women being killed and hate crimed. Let's move past love is love. This is why, you know, her lack of ability to think past this ideology that, you know, queer people are constantly in danger. That's where we need to focus, right? Like specifically black and queers of color, their existence is in danger. She couldn't think about the ways that disabled queers and their existence is in danger, right? That yes, many wish to be able to marry the ones that they love, but when you have an institution I thought we were trying to move away from institutions, right? Institutions that at their foundation are built in white supremacy. So why conform to these white supremacist or heteronormative ideas, right? Like the goal isn't just to have gay people live the same life that, um, you know, heterosexual people are living, but to be able to live your most authentic life, right? To be able to live and express in the way that you want. Not that you still fit the, the co uh, cookie cutter image, live in the, you know, the, the house and the picket fence with the 1.5 dogs. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, that's not what we want. People are fighting to live, to be alive. People are fighting. I mean, you know, only conversion therapy was only banned in Canada just a little while ago. Conversion therapy. And, you know, conveniently, we, you know, you tag the therapy at the end, so it somehow softens the blow, but it wasn't soft, let me tell you that. Love is love is tired and played out. Let's find a new one, okay? People want to walk in the world and not be hate crime. Well, that was this week's episode. A little chaotic, a little all over there, but it's done. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Maybe, you know, took something away from this. Really, and like I said before, can we can we stop the love is love? I had my one roommate try to say, let's let's put up a let's put up a pride flag in our living room, but didn't understand how you could be non-binary and lesbian. Was out here telling me, you know, gender is like biological gender is binary though but you want to put up a pride flag corny um so anyway make sure to follow us on our socials um black sprout that's b-l-c-k-s-p-r-o-u-t um on instagram and twitter i know guys i don't be tweeting much but maybe i will maybe if you guys followed me i would tweet more <laughs> make sure to join the newsletter it's in the link tree in our bio on Instagram, as well as Twitter. Uh, as always, interact with the podcast. I've had a few people reach out even last week. Love you. Shout out to you. Um, and let your thoughts be heard, please. I love when people want to talk to me about my podcast. Not just not no ego something, but because, you know, I sit in my room talking. I feel like I'm just chat, chat, chatting to a friend. And so when you guys talk back, I'm like, okay, somebody heard me. <laughs> somebody heard me. Um, and give some critiques, you know, I had somebody, a dear friend of mine, 
give me some critique. So hopefully I really did try to apply it to the episode. Please tell me if I did. Let me know. But anyway, my inbox is always open and stay tuned for the next one. See you guys. Bye.